Masechet Ketuvot Daf Lamed Dalid, we're on 33b, towards the bottom. Uresh Lakish Amar. We started off this uh, section with the Mishnah that taught um, about a, a rapist uh, uh, with, a na'ara, with a, a na'ara who has to pay a fine. And the Mishnah mentioned other cases where he has to pay a fine even if he would not be able to marry her. Uh, for example, she's a mamzeret, or if it's related like his sister. Uh, sister would be in Isur Karet, um, but even though he can't marry her, nevertheless, he does still have to pay the fine. That was our Mishnah. We asked a question up, or up, up, up above that there's Mishnah in Makot that says someone who sleeps with his sister gets Makot. And so now we're asking, which one is it? Would he get um, would he get lashes or would he have to pay a fine? So we saw a simple answer is to say that they're talking about two different cases. If it's a bogeret, if it's a, an adult nada naada, um, and she's consensual, so then there's no payment there. In that case, the man would get lashes, uh, the lashes in place of a karet. However, our Mishnah is talking about a case where he has to, he has two punishments. He would be liable potentially for lashes for sleeping with his sister, and also the fine for violating a naada. And so we are following the opinion that says when you have two punishments, you only get one, including when it's lashes uh, and uh, monetary payment. The monetary payment wins out, and he pays the pays the monetary payment, and so that would be our Mishnah. All right, that's what we've been the, we've been going along those lines until now. But now we have a new answer. Our Mishnah here in Kitubot could be the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir says if someone is liable to two punishments, lashes and payment, he actually has to do both. He does not apply the principle of Kimle Bidraba Mine. Okay, so, and that would be why in the case of Makot, uh, so he gets lashes, and here we're saying he, because he violated her as a na'ara, he also pays. Doesn't mean he doesn't get lashes, he gets lashes and he pays. Good. Now, hold on. We have a question. In our Mishnah, it mentioned different erva uh, uh, relationships uh, that are isure karet. It does not mention if someone does uh, violates his daughter, which would be a prohibition of mita of betin. Uh, so, how come it doesn't list that? Uh, uh, how come it doesn't list that case? Um, so, so maybe it's because this is filed, does file to be made. But Abi Meir thinks that if someone uh, violates his sister, there he would be liable to lashes and payment. And yes, he would get lashes and he would get payment and he would pay. Uh, but it doesn't list in the Mishnah daughter because daughter would be death penalty and uh, death penalty um, and payment. He does not say, to be made, says, we do apply the principle of Kim Leib, we only give the more stringent punishment in a case where it's death penalty and payment. So that's why if someone violated his daughter as a Na'ara, he would get the death penalty only and not pay. Right, because you only get one of those, and so that's why Amishnah listed only cases where there is payment, and that's why it didn't list it. So that could, answer would could work. The problem is that Abimeir doesn't think that. The law is that true that Abimeir thinks that um, someone does not uh, uh, gets capital punishment and does not pay?
והתניה, גנב את הטבח בשבת, גנב את הטבח לעבודה זרה, גנב שור הנשכל וטבחו, משלם תשלומי ארבעה וחמישה, דברי רבי מאיר, חכמים פוטרים. Now we're going to compare this to another case, where you could be liable to two things at once. If someone steals uh, an ox or a sheep, and he also sells it, or slaughters it. So the general rule is, if he does that, right, you have to steal it and either sell it or slaughter it. So now it's not around anymore that you could return it. If it's around, if he has it in his hand and he can return it, then he returns it, he pays double like normal thieves. But if he slaughters it or sells it, then the special law for animals, he has to pay four or five times. Now here's the thing. Let's say he steals it and he slaughters it on Shabbat. By slaughtering it on Shabbat, he's violating a melachah deoraita of Shabbat and is liable to death penalty. Or, let's say he slaughtered it in the name of idolatry. I'm slaughtering this animal and I'm dedicating it to idolatry. That's also a capital punishment. Or, if it's an ox that killed someone and deserves stoning. And so, uh, in that case also, he is not one, uh, an ox that deserves stoning. One is not allowed to, uh, to benefit from it. And therefore, when he slaughters it, it has no value. It's condemned to die. So he stole something and slaughtered something that has no value. So why should he have to pay back something that he has that has no value? And so in all these cases, although there would be a reason to say he shouldn't have to pay, the, a, the uh, conclusion is he does have to pay four and five times according to the Bimeir, but not according to Chachamim. So here our question is from the first two cases where someone slaughters the animal on Shabbat or for idolatry, he becomes liable to the death penalty and to pay four and five uh, at the same time in the same act and so Chachamim say he doesn't have to pay because he would get only the death penalty and therefore doesn't have to pay. The Bimeid who argues must be because he thinks that one can apply both the death penalty and payment um, to the same person for one act that he did at the same time. And therefore, how come the Mishnah does not mention a daughter, someone who rapes his daughter, and as and she's a Na'ada, he should also get death penalty and payment. Uh, and so that should be included in the Mishnah. Why is it not included in the Mishnah? There's a challenge to the Shakish that says, our Mishnah is the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Uh, so we're going to say, answer, Ha itmar Allah, Amar Rabbi Yaakov, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Amar Rabbi Yirmiya, Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Nakish, Rabbi Abin, Rabbi El'ah, V'chol Chabarah Mishmed, Rabbi Yochanan. Okay, either way, this statement goes back to Rabbi Yochanan. Amri betobayach al yide'acher. Oh, when Rabbi Meir says that one has to pay for the animal that he killed on Shabbat or for idolatry. He's talking about a case where the thief is the one that stole the animal, but then he brought it and asked a friend, let's say a friend who was a butcher, uh, to do the shechita on Shabbat or for idolatry. And therefore, since he's not the one that slaughtered it on Shabbat, his friend slaughtered on Shabbat. So his friend will get the death penalty for doing that. And uh, therefore, the thief himself has to pay because the thief himself did not do the act. That's death penalty. Okay, and so that would explain, and in fact, the Bimeir does not apply 
uh, does not think that you can get capital punishment and also monetary payment, and that's why the case of daughter is not in the Mishnah. Hold on. Can you have a case where one person sins, meaning the slaughterer, the the butcher, his friend, uh, and uh, then the thief would be liable to pay? The thief is not the one that slaughtered it, right? The classic case is where the thief steals it and also slaughters it so because he slaughtered it he has to pay why should he have to pay if someone else slaughtered it because this is a special case where yes indeed even if someone else does the does the act still the thief is liable because the Torah says if he slaughters it or sells it. Now, in order to sell something, you need there to be another party to buy it. There has to be a buyer in order for there, for there to be a seller. And so since the act of selling requires someone else to participate, so we compare the two and say also uh, if it's slaughtered by means of another, that also would be make the thief liable to pay four and five. So yes, in fact, that could be, and that's why he pays, because the butcher would be liable to capital punishment, and it would be the thief who has to pay. Or another way to derive a similar law is the word or, extra word, is comes to include by an agent, that if the thief asks someone else to slaughter it, the thief is still liable for the payment. Or another way to derive is derive it is from the word tachat, um, uh, 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 that he has to pay four or five for that sheep, that says the word tachat, and that comes to include also the shaliach. So three different ways of deriving the same law. All right, so right now we're good and we sustain the reshakish that says our Mishnah could be talking about a bimeir who applies two punishments to a person. But now we have a challenge. Can there be such a case where if the person did it himself, he would not be liable, but if he sends an agent, he is liable? And that's the case here. If the person himself, the thief himself, uh, slaughtered it, then he would not have to pay because he's liable to capital punishment. But if he asks a friend to slaughter it, then he does have to pay. Does that make sense? That it should, he should get off the hook because he's asking someone else to do it? And the answer is yes, indeed. The reason is, it's not that the thief is not liable. Uh, the, fa- the thief is, in fact, is liable. If the thief does it himself, steals and slaughters it, the thief really is potentially liable to two counts, except that we apply the principle. We've been quoting it a lot of times, but here it is where it appears. That dekim le we establish upon him raba the greater punishment mine of the two, and so really he is liable to payment. It's just that we we have to kill him, and so we only kill him first. Um, but uh, since he is potentially liable, so it doesn't violate this principle. Uh, that Morizutra asked from. Okay, now, okay, so you just explained that that were that, that, that is referring to a case where Hakamadabimi says he's liable to pay because someone else did the slaughtering. Wait a second, if someone else did the slaughtering, then how can you explain Rabbanan who say that the thief does not have to pay, right? Why shouldn't the, the thief have to pay since he stole it and someone else slaughtered it? 
Um, so man, and after all, we said you can, you, you're liable to pay for four and five, even if you do it by an agent, the slaughtering is by an agent. So we answer, man, Shimon limits the liability of the killing of the ox or the sheep. And he says that the shechita has to be a kosher shechita, has to be one that allows the animal to be eaten However, if it's a shechita that's not fit, that is not done in a kosher way, then it's not considered legally shechita for the law of uh, ganav uvetavach, and so he does not have to pay four and five. Uh, so uh, good. That's why that's why the the chacham. That's why the rabbanan here say patur because you did it on uh well let's see how it applies to each case so if uh, someone slaughters an animal for the sake of idolatry the animal is not edible it's prohibited also uh if someone slaughters an ox that's condemned to death that ox condemned to death one cannot get any benefit from it it's has no value as and one's not kosher and therefore that shechita in those two cases are not considered uh valid shechita and that's why the one uh there therefore the one who uh, slaughters it is um is would be liable uh, the one who slaughters it is not considered as if it ha- as having slaughtered it and therefore the thief no matter who does it the thief or someone else would not uh um would not be liable to four and five that's the reason he hold on but if he did it on shabbat although he violated shabbat and gets capital punishment the meat is still kosher right that's the rule um so in that case since it is shechita reuya it's a it was prohibited act but the shechita is a valid leads to kosher meat uh, therefore, it should be considered shechita for the law of stealing as well, and the thief should have to pay four or four and five. And how do we know that you can eat meat that was slaughtered on Shabbat? Itnan hashochet b'Shabbat u'biyom Kippurim afapish mitchay b'nafsho shechita to kesherda. Someone who slaughters an animal on Shabbat or Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is even less severity on Shabbat, even though he is liable to capital punishment, but he can have the meat for his last meal. Um, so that's the question. And their answer is, um, So we can follow the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan HaSandlar, who is uh, the most stringent opinion regarding how, can you benefit from an act that was done on Shabbat. The first opinion is, if someone cooks on Shabbat, if they did it by mistake, they forgot it was Shabbat, or they didn't know that this act was not allowed, uh, it can be eaten. If he does it on purpose, then he cannot eat it. That's Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yudah is more stringent. He says, if you did it by mistake, if you cooked on Shabbat by mistake, you, and then you realize you're not allowed to eat it on Shabbat, you have to wait till after Shabbat. Um, and then you can eat it. But if you do it on purpose, it cannot be eaten forever. Okay. Rabbi Sadar is even more stringent, and he says if you did it by mistake, it can be eaten on uh, after Shabbat is over for others. But the one who actually violated, even though he did so by mistake, he cannot eat it at all. He should not benefit from his own mistake, but it's kosher. Other people can eat it. But if you do it on purpose, it cannot be eaten forever. 
not for him and not for anyone else. No one is allowed to eat it. And so unlike the other opinions who were just talking about the person that slaughtered it, that he can't benefit from it, here the Yochanan says if he slaughtered it on purpose, and that's what we're talking about here in this case, because he gets capital punishment. So he does it on purpose, and it makes the meat unkosher. No one, no one will ever be able to eat this. And therefore the case of Shabbat also is an improper shechita. And since an improper shechita, one does not pay the four and five, and that would explain why Rabbanan, in that case, even when someone else slaughtered it, the thief himself um, would, uh, how come the thief himself doesn't have to pay? That's because it's an improper slaughter. It doesn't lead to kosher meat in any of the three cases. All right, now that we mentioned Birchana Salnad is the most stringent and says no one can ever eat it, if it was uh, if meat was if food was prepared on Shabbat, um, so Bichia said the following uh, explanation at the entrance of the patriarch's house. He says, So you should keep Shabbat because it is sacred. Uh, we're comparing Shabbat to something sacred. Just like something sacred, like sacrificial meat, you cannot eat. So too, something that is done on Shabbat, a melacha that you violated on Shabbat and produce something, is prohibited to eat. Hold on. Now you might think that something that is uh, that is donated to, uh, as a as a sacred item, something you donate to the Beit Hamikdash, you also can't benefit from it. So maybe you'll think that also something that is done on Shabbat in violation of Shabbat is also prohibited in having benefit from it. So it's a little different from a sacred item. Sacred items you cannot benefit from, but from but a, a something uh, done on Shabbat you can benefit from. You just can't eat it. Now, how about even if it was done by mistake, would we also prohibit it from being eaten to anyone? Uh, because the Pasuk says, um, uh, same Pasuk, it says, and anyone who violates Shabbat will die. So what do you mean? When would you die? Only if you violate it on purpose, um, but not Bishogeg. So this whole comparison only applies Bemezid. Uh, and so this is the source that someone, uh, if someone is, something is prepared, food is, is cooked, or an animal is slaughtered on Shabbat on purpose, is prohibited not only to the slaughterer, but to everyone, and that is his source. Good. Now this very subject of um, action that desecrates Shabbat, what's the result? Um, is a machloket among these two amoraim. One says that it's prohibited deoraita, as we just said. And one says only drabanan. The verse that they're deriving it from is the one we just quoted. So, and uh, everything makes sense there. The one says, Rabbanan, what are they going to do with this pasuk? Well, they'll interpret the pasuk differently. And they'll say, Kodeshi, that it is sacred, uh, meaning only Shabbat, the, the day itself is sacred, but an action that's done in violation of Shabbat 
where it's not sacred. So the he comes to limit that only Shabbat and uh, actions are not sacred. And therefore, Midoraita is permitted, only Midrabanan. They came and said, you know what, we don't want people to benefit from something that was done in violation of Shabbat. All right, now that we know that, we bring up the question, according to the opinion that says, something done in violation of Shabbat is only prohibited Midrabanan, but Midoraita is permitted, Midrabanan de Patre. In that case, in the in that case, when someone uh, uh, violates, a, a thief steals something, and someone else slaughters it on Shabbat. Uh, now, uh, that meat is permitted, midoraita, according to this opinion. And so, since it's permitted, it's a valid shechita. Since it's a, deva- it's a valid tebicha, therefore, the thief should have to pay four and five. So how come Rabbanan say he doesn't have to? And the answer is, ashara. Indeed, the rabbis uh, who say you don't have to pay, that applies to the other cases of stoning and idolatry. But the case of Shabbat, indeed, they would say that the thief does have to pay in that case. They were talking about just the majority of the cases. All right. Now, back to the idolatry case, why should the person... Uh, be liable, now we're going back to the Bimeir, why should he be li- liable to pay according to the Bimeir? After all, uh, yeah, think of the steps in the action. If someone uh, slaughters something for the sake of Avodazara, then the second they make even the smallest cut in the animal, it already becomes idolatry, idolatrous and is prohibited. So the, the prohibition of capital punishment then comes first. At that point, the animal becomes uh, given over to idolatry and becomes prohibited. And since it's prohibited, it has no value. It's prohibited from even any benefit. And therefore, it has no, va- no value. Since it has no value, it doesn't belong to anyone anymore. So when he continues and does the rest of the shechita, the rest of the tebicha, so he is slaughtering an animal that doesn't belong, that has no ownership. And therefore, he, the thief should not have to pay uh, for anything because he, the, the, um, it, this is not a valid shechita. Um, so that's the question. And the answer is, If he says, before he starts cutting, he says, cutting, he says I want this shechita to be in the name of idolatry, but not the beginning of the cutting, only the end of the cutting. And so when he uh, um, uh, does the full shechita and uh, uh, cuts both of the, uh, both of the, uh, tubes in the in the neck. Only when he completes it, then you will have simultaneously that he will have violated idolatry, capital punishment, and also do the shechita. And at that point, the animal will still be owned by the owner because it didn't become idolatry idolatrous yet. So by delaying the trigger for idolatry, uh, that would explain why. Uh, the thief does have to pay, according to the Bimeir, right? That shechita is a um, is a valid shechita of an animal that was, um, in fact, uh, worth something and owned by the original owner.
Okay, so now we ask the same question about Shor Haniskal Lavdi Dehu because this is an animal that's condemned to death, so it has zero worth. No one can use it. And therefore the one is liable to pay four and five only if he steals and slaughters an animal that has worth and he stole and is owned by the original owner and now he destroys it. That's why. But this animal is not owned by the original owner. So why should he be liable to pay four and five according to the Bay? So the says, we're talking about a case here where it was stolen not from the owner's house, but rather from a watchman's house. So the original owner gave it to a shomer while it was still a fine and uh, happy and uh, non-killing ox. Um, while it was in the, in the house of the uh, custodian, it went and uh, uh, hurt some hurt someone or killed someone. And then they took it to court and they said, you don't physically take the ox to court, but it was dealt with in court. And they said, you know what? This ox is condemned to death. So all this happened while it was still in the watchman's house, and it was, then it was stolen from the house of the watchman. Now, how does that help that it was in the watchman's house? As follows. And this assumption of Rabbah agrees with Rabbi Yaakov and with Rabbi Shimon. What do they say? Rabbi Yaakov says that if someone is watching an animal and during that time that it was, he was being watched, it did something wrong and was condemned to death. The other opinion, the majority opinion, says that now it's worthless. So the owner has to pay out of his own pocket um, because he let this happen on his watch. However, Rabbi Yaakov says no. Since it, if the animal is still there and is intact, then the watchman can simply return the ox, even though it's a condemned to death ox now and has no, no purpose and no value. He can say, listen, you gave me the ox. Here's the ox back. I'm out. So Rabbi Yaakov says one can do that. And furthermore, we add, add to that, Rabbi Shimon says something that would trigger or cause a monetary gain or loss is like money itself. Um, so even though this thing right now is not worth money, in this case, we're talking about the animal, um, the animal that the, bear, that, the, that the watchman has is not worth any money, but... He can return it and not have to pay. If it's destroyed, then he won't have an ox to give back. And so that will trigger that he will have to pay out of his own pocket. So by combining these two things together, we see that when the thief steals this ox, that even though it was condemned to death, and then he slaughters it, so even though it's something that is not worth anything and therefore is ownerless, but when we combine these two, we see even though it's not worth anything, it's ownerless, still, it does have value to the watchman because the watchman can return it instead of having to pay. And even something that is worth potential money is, um, is the same as money itself. And so if we combine all these opinions together, then we can explain why Rabbi Meir would hold the person liable even in the case, would hold the thief liable even in the case of him stealing and slaughtering a, um, an ox that was condemned to death. All right, so all that was uh, one line of thinking, but now we're going to see This whole line of thinking was assuming that the thief uh, stole it and then gave it to someone else uh, to uh, slaughter. 
And uh, the reason why that helped him is because uh, then he's not the same one that's doing both actions, because if he's doing both actions, then he should only get capital punishment and not the and not have to pay. So that's where we're going this whole time in order to explain the Bimeir. But Rebaz says, no, I can explain it even according to the opinion that's uh, uh, even in uh, assuming it's a case where the thief himself both stole it and slaughtered it. And in fact, the Bimeir uh, thinks that one who is liable to two punishments of lashes and payment, yes, that you get both. And that explains our Mishnah, where someone who violated a sister does, uh, she's a na'ada, um, pays because you would pay and also get slaughtered. And met um, mishalem let then he does not think that uh, someone who uh, is liable to capital punishment and payment doesn't have to that doesn't get both he gets only capital punishment and he does not have to pay. And so back to our question in that case how come regarding the animal he would have to pay if he did both if he both stole and slaughtered the animal so he should be liable to capital punishment. Uh, so we should apply capital punishment and payment. He should only have to pay. So he should only get capital punishment and he should not have to pay. This case of four and five is an unusual. It's a chidush. It's a new, it's a new law. Uh, because usually it doesn't make sense. Why should you have to pay four and five? Usually a thief pays double. But this is a special case. It's already exceptional. It's already exceptional in the amount you have to pay in this fine, and therefore it's exceptional also in this aspect that here and only here, even those who say that one gets only one punishment, capital punishment, and not payment, in this case, you would in fact get capital punishment and payment as well. We next are going to note that Rabbah is consistent with something else he said. All right, so he just established that according to, uh, according to we just established that according to Rabbah, if uh, someone is liable to the death penalty and to payment at the same time when it's involved in the case of a slaughtered animal, stolen and slaughtered animal, which he has to pay four and five, that's, then yes, indeed, he gets capital punishment and pays the fine, um, because the fine is a chidush. We're going to see another place where Rabbah says the same principle. As Rabbah says, uh, if someone had a goat that was already uh, stolen, he st- was stolen b- before Shabbat, and then he slaughters it on Shabbat, he is liable uh, for both, because to, for uh, capital punishment and to pay. The reason is because he already became liable to the stealing before Shabbat started. In other words, uh, the payment of four and five has multiple parts to it. Uh, the first, the, the 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 first part is he has to pay back what he stole. Just that's the just the principle. Um, of it. And in addition to that is the double, because when you steal every anything, you have to pay double. Only afterwards, when he slaughters it, then he has to pay two or three more times. So in this case, when he stole it, let's say on Friday, at that point already, the monetary liability began. He already has to give back once, if he gives it willingly, twice, if he's caught. And so now that he does the slaughtering on Shabbat, that uh, uh, he's now going to be liable to capital punishment, and the extra monetary punishment is just added on 
to the tab that you already opened uh, beforehand by stealing it before Shabbat. And so in this case, he is liable to both. Ganav v'tavach b'Shabbat patur she'im en geneva en tebicha ve'en mechira. However, if he stole and slaughtered it on Shabbat, if the stealing was also on Shabbat, then he would not have to pay. Why? Uh, because in the act of stealing, let's say he stole the animal by dragging it out of the owner's house. And so then he's, uh, he's uh, moving it from uh, one, he's carrying, he's uh, transferring from one um, uh, ownership to another, from Rishut HaYachid to Rishut HaRabim, for example, and, uh, uh, or to his own Rishut HaYachid, whatever it is. Um, so in that case, since the stealing, he was never liable to, not even to begin with, because the initial stealing happened together with a capital punishment liability of violation of Shabbat. And so since in the, even in the, the initial liability to stealing did not take place, so too the added fine for slaughtering it or uh, selling it also does not uh, does not take place. So in that case, he's liable to capital punishment for the slaughter, but not to payment. We see here that the Resha, the first case when he stole it before Shabbat, is consistent with the, the view that he just expressed, uh, that um, according to Rabbi Meir in Rabbah's interpretation, that the fines, uh, regard, fines in general and fines here regarding the slaughtering of the, uh, uh, of the animal uh, do apply even with capital punishment. Uh, and so that's consistent here. Um, the second case, the problem is that even the non-fine, the original amount, the original amount of compensation that he owes, he was never liable to. And so if, he didn't, if he's not liable to stealing in the first place, he can't be liable to the four and five either. Um, all right, but the first case is consistent with what he said before. Okay, applies says the same thing in a uh, slightly different case. We're going to wonder why he needs to say both. If someone had a goat, a stolen goat, he had it from before, and then he goes and as he's tunneling into someone's house as a burglar, he slaughters this goat in the tunnel. Um, he is chayav. So we know the law that if there's a burglar who's coming uh, um, uh, in, uh, in the night in a surreptitious way, so then we are afraid that he, he may be armed and we assume that the person, the homeowner, is going to stand his ground and therefore um, if he stays there, the burglar will threaten his life and the owner will um, have to defend himself. And so in this case, uh, because this, the thief, the burglar, is putting himself into a, a situation where he is liable to be killed. He can be killed. The homeowner has a right to kill him. Um, and therefore, it's considered as if he is under capital punishment uh, for that moment, right? And once he leaves, if he's running away from the house, then the owner, homeowner cannot run after him and kill him outside the house, but only if when he is uh, actually tunneling. He doesn't have to be literally digging a tunnel, but the point is he's uh, breaking into the house. And so in this case, um, since the animal was already stolen before he, uh, uh, before he came into the house, so he was already liable to pay the principal amount, 
And now, while he's in the tunnel and he's liable to capital punishment, now he does the slaughtering. And so now the fine is added on. So Rabbah says he has to pay the fine, right? Because once again, this is consistent with this principle that capital punishment and the added fine can be applied together. Um, and the Geneva started already because he stole it beforehand. However, however, if he found the uh, goat in, uh, inside, he's in that guy's house, he's stealing his goat. Um, and so he steals it and kills it in the tunnel. Um, at the same time, in that case, he would not be liable to pay. Because she'im en geneba en and mechira. Because even the initial stealing is not liable to. The initial stealing was done while he is under the death penalty, and therefore he doesn't have to pay the principal amount. So if you don't have to pay the principal amount, that means there was never a guilt of stealing in the first place. If there's no stealing, then there can't be a law uh, applied of slaughtering it or selling it. So there wouldn't be any fine to be applied. Uh, to, to be added to. You have to have the base amount in order for the fine to, fine to be added to that. So kind of the tab is never open, so therefore it does not apply. So you see Rabbah has the same law, same structure in these two. So we ask, why does he need to teach both? Well, if you only told me the case of Shabbat, I would say that maybe only in the case of Shabbat, is one exempt from payment. We're talking about in the Sefa, where he steals it and kills it on Shabbat. And now Shabbat is, um, uh, once he violates Shabbat, so he now deserves capital punishment for the rest of his life. Whenever witnesses come, they may come some years later, uh, whenever they come. So he's, cap he's under capital punishment forever. And so that's, uh, therefore Shabbat is more stringent because the capital punishment of Shabbat is more stringent. We might have thought that in that case, he would not have to pay. But, but in the case of when he's tunneling in, so there his liability, his capital punishment is temporary. It's only while he's acting as a burglar inside the house, then he's liable to capital punishment. Once he leaves, no. So this is kind of a lower level of capital punishment. So I might have thought we wouldn't apply the principle that he can't get two punishments at once because he really never got capital punishment. And so I might think in this case, when he steals it while he's in the tunnel, he would have to pay for the stealing um, and therefore also for the, the fine for slaughtering it because it's not really capital punishment in this case. So that's why he has to tell me the case of, of the uh, tunnel. And if you only tell them, told me the second case about the burglar, I would say, well, the burglar in, in a different way is actually more stringent because you don't have to warn a burglar. The owner, he uh, has a right to self-defense and he doesn't have to warn him and say, hey, you better get out or else I'm going to kill you. Um, uh, he does, uh, he's, uh, the burglar is liable to death even without uh, warning, unlike Shabbat where you have to give a warning. So I might have thought that uh, the uh, the exemption from payment because he's liable to capital punishment would only be in the case of the burglar, which is more stringent in that it doesn't even need a warning. But maybe it would not apply to Shabbat where you also need a warning. So therefore, uh, um, therefore we teach the first case as well. So we need both of these cases. All right. All that was Rabbah, and now we're going to see a similar statement by a next generation Amorah,
uh, two, two generations later, uh, who says something very similar. We're going to wonder why he have even needed to say this. If someone already stole a cow, in this case it's a cow, and he stole it before Shabbat on Friday, and then he killed, he slaughtered it on Shabbat, he does have to pay because he already, his monetary obligation already began uh, before Shabbat started. Um, uh, before, right, before Shabbat started. And therefore, when he slaughtered it on Shabbat, that's just adding an extra, the added fine to the already open tab that he has to pay. And so, yes, that does apply, even though he's liable to, cap- to capital punishment. Okay, that case we already had. Here's a new case. If the cow was lent to him, so he borrowed a cow in the way that he can use. Uh, so the law is that someone who's renting a cow is liable to no, liable to no matter what happens. Uh, for any mishap that happens, any onus that happens, even if it's beyond his control, um, the renter is liable. So if he rented it, and while he's renting it, on Shabbat, he slaughters it. Well, in that case, patur, uh, he does not have to pay for it. The reason is because he is now stealing it and slaughtering it at the same time on Shabbat. So the, steal, the act of stealing happened on Shabbat, and since the act of stealing happened together with a capital punishment liability of slaughtering it, therefore he never became liable to, for payment even of the principal. Uh, never became liable to stealing it, and therefore certainly wouldn't be liable to the added fine. Uh, so that's the a similar contrasting case as before. Okay, that is Rav Papa. Amar Rav Acha v'Red Rav Al Rav Ashe. Rav Papa para atalash moinan. Now Rav Acha, the son of Rava, uh, asks Rav Ashe, "Why is Rav Papa telling us this? Is he just coming to tell us that the law applies to a cow and not only to uh, an ox and a goat? Obviously, male and female, right? Ox, cow. They're both the same. Applies to goats. Applies to cows. Applies to oxen. So obviously." He's not coming to teach us that. We, all, we know that it applies to all of these animals. So why is he saying this? Oh, he's coming to teach us this chidush that it applies to a case of a borrowed or rented cow. I might have thought that since Rapapa also says that from the time that the renter uh, acquires, right, pulls the animal into his uh, uh, domain, so already from that moment he is has to give it sustenance. Okay, so the responsibility of the renter for feeding the animal happens at the moment of uh, his acquiring it. So I might have thought, maybe from the moment that he acquires it, and he acquired it sometime during the week, before Shabbat, maybe from that moment he's already liable Itchayav, liable for a mishap that should happen, that may happen to it. And so I might have thought that in this case, it's kind of like the case of stealing it before Shabbat, that he's already liable uh, for paying for it should anything happen. And therefore, since he's already liable from before Shabbat, now on Shabbat when he kills it, it's just adding a fine. So Kamash Malan, that's why he's teaching us that that's not so. Even though it's true, at the time that he acquires the animal, he has to feed it, and he is responsible should something happen, but he's not liable yet until something happens. And so therefore, actually, the liability 
for paying for the principal and the fine only happened on Shabbat when he actually kills it. And therefore, since it was never stolen, uh, he's never liable to, stole, to being stolen because it was capital punishment at the same time. Therefore, he does not pay a fine in that case. And that's the added chidush. Okay, last statement of Adava. So while we're talking about rented cows, if a father... Um, if uh, someone rented a cow uh, to use, let's say for one year, and after six months he dies, the father dies, and it, it's inherited by the children. So the father left a, a, a rented cow. So the children can continue the rental period. And so they have another six months on the, on the rental period. So the, the, the uh, children who inherit it can use the cow. Oh, no, simple enough. Now, meta and chavin be'onasa. But if it dies by some accident, the children do not have to pay for the mishap, even though the father would have to pay, a renter does have to pay. The chidush here is that the um, liability uh, for the renter is a personal obligation that the father took upon himself, and that does not transfer. So even though the benefit of a rental transfers to the inheritors, the liability of a rental does not transfer to the inheritors. Uh, the owner of this cow would have to go at the time of, of, of death and say, hey, you should better know, this is my cow, and have to renew the agreement. Okay. Now, that's the first case of it dying. The second case is if the sons kill it. Let's say they think it's the father's. They don't realize that it was rent, it was borrowed by, from someone else. And so they go and slaughter it and eat it, right? Just because they feel like having some steak for dinner. And so in that case, the renter, the owner comes and says, hey, that was my cow. Then they have to pay him back the amount that the meat is worth in the cheapest uh, market rate, um, which uh, the commentary says two-thirds of the regular market rate, uh, because uh, they might say, listen, if we knew we were going to pay the market rate, we wouldn't have slaughtered and eaten meat in the first place. But most people, if you give them a discount of 33%, then they'll say, you know what, okay, I'll have meat for dinner. So therefore, they only have to pay that amount. But now we have the last clause, which is a limitation. We don't know if it's a limitation on the first, on the whole Mishnah, the first clause, the second clause. We'll discuss that in a second. Now, if the father left them some property, and property is, can always be used as a guarantee for any loan, right? If someone borrowed money, uh, for, uh, uh, if the father borrowed money, um, then the collector can come and uh, if there's a lien, if it's a written document, for example, then they can come and take the property. So if the father left them property, then that property would be a lien on the cow that was rented, and then they would have to pay the full amount uh, for the, uh, let's say, for the meat that they ate. Okay, now, this last statement, Some say that it applies to the resha. When the resha said that uh, if the, ki- the, the, the kids um, uh, are allowed to use it, and if it dies, they don't have to pay. Some say that's only true that if it dies on its own, that they don't have to pay if there was no land. But if there was land, then that land already was uh, had a lien on uh, uh, on it 
to pay for any possible mishap that would happen to the animal, and therefore they would have they would have to pay if it died. So some people apply to the resha. Others say no, it applies to the sefa. When the kids thought it was theirs and they slaughtered and ate it, they have to pay the cheap amount, only two thirds of the market price. That's only when they didn't have land. But if they have land that's a lien on the value of the rental, uh, then they have to pay a full amount of the uh, of the meat of the slaughtered animal uh, because it was already leaned uh, uh, to the land was already uh, lean so the owner of the of the of the cow already had access uh, to the to repayment from the land okay so now so whoever applies it to the first clause all the more so to the second clause first of all it just makes sense structurally you wouldn't put the limitation clause at the end if it only applied to the first case and also if though if one would have to pay when it dies on its own right in which case there's less liability all the more so when they actually go and kill it and that would be more liability so there would uh, certainly you'd have to pay from the property that they inherited in uh, the second case um, if you agree that they should pay for it in the first case. And according to that interpretation, Rava it does not agree with Rav Papa because Rav Papa said that a borrower is liable for accidents only when the incident occurs, when, which means that um, why should I should only be liable uh, to uh, payment at the time of the slaughter, right? Remember what he he just said of, over here um, that uh, if, if if from the time of the uh, acquiring of the cow, uh, one might have thought that one's liable back then. This is no. This is, comes to teach us. That's why he included the second case that the time of liability does not start from the time that I acquire pull the animal, but rather only from the time that a mishap occurs. So therefore. Um, um, since this, in this case, the resha, when the animal dies, uh, while the animal's in the hands of the children, so we do, uh, according to the papa, the liability starts then. It does not start when the father was alive, right? It doesn't start when he acquires the animal, but only when the mishap occurs. The mishap is the animal dying, and so therefore the land should not have been uh, had had a lien on it in order to pay uh, just in case something happens. So, according to the first version that applies it to the resha as well as the sefa, that would disagree with Rapapa. But if we apply it only to the sefa, they would say, okay, fine, he has to pay, and the lien, uh, he has to pay for it even from the property of the father. Um, if if he has property of the father, he has to pay for it. Um, that's only in the second case where they were negligent. I mean, they, they should have uh, went, went ahead and checked Hey, where's this animal from? Does it belong to us? Does it belong to someone else? So in that case, yes, they have to pay for it from the property of the father. Uh, but they would not, not apply this limitation to the resha. Um, that in the resha, even if they if the father and gave them property, he still does not have to pay. Uh, and that would be consistent with Rafapa, who says that the liability 
occur, the liability to pay is uh, incurred only at the time of the accident hap that, that uh, when the, when the accident happens, and not at the time that uh, he the father acquired it, and therefore the land was never leaned uh, to the owner, and therefore the sons would not have to pay. And so, um, in that according to that interpretation, Rav Papa actually can agree with Rav Ha. Baruch Adonai Amen.